I am proud woman, Miss Brown. And never have I begged for anything. But now, I beg for you. I humble myself before you. I, Sylvia Ganesh, beg on my mother's grave. I beg you. Please let go. Let go! Security! Stop! I think your business is finished here, ma'am. Let's go. Mrs. Ganesh. podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello and welcome to the podcast at the intersection of faith and fear where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the Fear of God podcast. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. And typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And well, Reed, he was here, but he said he had to go get the harvest cake out of the oven. (laughs) It sounds tasty, though. I like a cake. Maybe we will share it and consume it all in one sitting. Um, I'm sure he'll be back any minute. I hope he got some oven mitts. In the meantime, allow me to welcome you back to our year-long umbrella series. No more of that sad conversation. Uh, This umbrella series called 2020-2020, where we examine 20 films of the last 20 years in the year 2020, a year that feels like 20 in itself. To know more about the intention behind this series, go check out our pre-cap episode from the end of January. Today, we're looking at the year 2009. Unbelievably, 11 years ago. But I'm getting ahead of myself, everyone, though, because here at The Fear of God, we explore. We don't explain. Except for right now, when I explain that you can find The Fear of God podcast at your nearest podcast platform, on video, at YouTube, and on the web at The Fear of God podcast dot com wherein you'll find episode archives and merch including cell phone cases t-shirts campaign buttons face masks magnets pillows read hey buddy oh oh no 
What's the hand? <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> but you, but let's hope your conversational <laughs> acumen exceeds your entrance capacity. <laughs> <laughs> Riri, you know, I talk about my am... conversational acumen with big words like that. <laughs> yeah, I like that word, acumen. 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 Mm-hmm. Speaking of acumen, you want to call in our new friend yeah. to do our new segment? Speaking of acumen, <clears throat> Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Let's see, business section. Ooh, la, la, what do we got here? <laughs> So, we are doing our call to action section. You know what I'm talking about. So, calls to action this week. One fell off because it just doesn't matter anymore. So, we do change things here, guys. (laughs) Take your pick. You you figured out. Emails for stickers. We still want your email so that you can still get a sticker. Mm. Go Go to the website, front page, where it says subscribe. Put your digits in. Put your stuff in. Put your socials in. And, <laughs> and man, we are set, Riri. Social media, um, not security number. Just to be clear, you know, potato, <laughs> potato. <laughs> What's really funny is I actually meant social security number, and yeah, yeah, I wasn't I even thinking about social media stuff. And I was like, oh, that's a good sort of mm. pull out of the nose diver he just did for me. And then I just ruined it for you. So yes, mm. emails for stickers. What you got, Riri? Okay, so in a couple of weeks. All right. Just, just literally a couple. Literally just a couple of weeks. We are launching officially the Fear of God Book Club. Book, book Club! <laughs> All right. So our first <laughs> entry. That <laughs> was amazing. Because what you don't know is I just, I don't know if you can see this. I sent it to Gallery View right before we did that. And all of a sudden, we synchronized our singing. That's a, that's beautiful. These things just happen. They just happen. Um, so we are inaugurating uh, the Fear of God book club with a conversation with author Matt Ruff about his novel, Lovecraft Country. We are not, because it hasn't aired yet, we are not going to be touching the HBO uh, series at this point, uh, although maybe, hopefully, sometime in the uh, near future. Um, But we will be having Matt Ruff on to discuss his novels, which means you only have a couple of weeks to support your local library or acquire a copy of it somewhere that you can read it in preparation for that conversation. Um, And if you will share our show or an episode from our show or something about the show and tag us in it, you will automatically be entered into a, a drawing for an opportunity to win an autographed copy of Matt Ruff's Lovecraft Country. That was autographed a by Matt Ruff. Yes. It was, yes. Autographed by him, not by us. So right. that's much more valuable. Yeah, yeah, that was, um, so, I mean, uh, so yes. People might that like that. We'll autograph a thing and send it to him. Um, yeah, so emails for stickers. Book club. And then, please, <laughs> send us your recordings of you, your family, your loved ones, your peers, your enemies, uh, your animals, singing, what you're watching, what you're reading, what you're listening to. You got a little taste of that. On last week's leftovers episode with the cutest little gaudy Canada ever beget. <laughs> um, so yeah, send us here what you're watching, reading, listening to, read. Are there anything, any other business we need to tend to? At at the moment, no. We are in the middle of hashtag 2020, 2020 but voting has closed, so th- nothing more, nothing else. Yep. So yep. if that if that's the case, we're gonna we're gonna put Pandora back in the box with uh, <clears throat> Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. It's showtime. Indeed it is. All right. So, um, listen, Nathan. What? 
<laughs> it's been a long time since we've done this. <laughs> oh man, it's, like, it's yeah, yeah. It ha- well, it has, it has. Normally, this is the moment because we're you know we pivoted out. You can tell that we've had like five or six it's weeks of really heavy conversation, and it really has been. And I'm glad can, that since last week's episode, the world has just righted itself. Like everything right? is good again. Yeah. Like. Like no more simmering, long-standing racial anxiety and tension and violence in America. No more global pandemic. He was right. I just shoved some bleach up my butt and <laughs> <laughs> it just went away. It's a miracle. <laughs> Lots of things. <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that. It's okay. Nobody does. Can you? Is there a way? There's no right way. No. Is there a good answer to that question? No, there's not. Um, So anyway, anyway, uh, we are both a little, clearly, a little punchy uh, from everything that's going on. So this conversation should be a lot of fun. But before we dive into the film we are talking about this week, we have our 2020-2020 countdown i don't know why i'm singing i wasn't ready for that one so i'm sorry i couldn't join you (laughs) that's okay um so we're gonna we've been counting down in 2020 2020 we have been counting down your favorite horror films from every year since 2000 and now after taking that brief break to cover leftovers season one and we will get on with leftovers season two in just a couple of weeks after the conversation with matt ruff but in the meantime we're here on 2020 2020 and it is time for your top 10 of 2009 listeners are you ready 2009 co-host are you ready yeah isn't that nuts that's uh that's crazy that's close it doesn't feel like that long ago 2009 was a big year for me. I yeah. started the job, uh, as of this recording, I started the job that I am still currently with, and I got married hmm. in 2009. What do you know? 2009 it was, a, a, was a big year uh, for me. Yes. It's, um, yeah. I was there. How about that countdown? I was, you, I was, you were there. I was there. I was front and center. <laughs> yeah. You were my mm, best man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Um, <laughs> We are going to be counting down. I keep trying to think of your... things that happened to me in 20, 2009. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I don't know. It was, it was just 11 years year. ago. So it was. Might as well my, have been another lifetime. My eldest had just been born. Hey. In 2008. That's, that's not nothing. <laughs> All right. So nothing so, happened in 2009. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> forget it. Nope. Nothing. Uh, 2009. Do you want to start or do you want me to start? Uh, I'll let you pick. <laughs> we're gonna say flashes up on the screen. Fifteen minutes later, we're sitting there staring at Do each other. Do you ever read like, uh, Mo Willems' pigeon books to your kids? To your kid? No, I don't know what that is. Oh, Riri, my really? little my little librarian. Yes, you need to look into. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna gift you. Anyway, but that, right. the joke's not Mo, gonna matter. Mo Williams, your dear, you'll love it. We lo- we love okay pigeon and his stories around here. Uh, number ten, awesome. I'm gonna go. Number 10, directed Go. by Karen, K- Karen Kusama. Um, we covered her film, The Invitation, which I did not look up because I didn't know I was going to connect it here because Reed just got me this list five minutes ago. Um, this film is, is Jennifer's Body, starring Megan Fox. I never saw this movie. I can't speak to it. Yeah, so my only comment on this one is that I have been intending uh, actively to revisit this film because when I saw this, 
I actively hated this movie, but I remember so little about it that I can't remember why. And in recent and it's years, good to remind ourselves why we hate things. Well, but here's the thing, though, is a critical uh, like there's been a bit of a sort of a conversational resurgence of this film. Uh, First of all, Karen Kusama's, you know, increased presence. um, And of course, I loved The Invitation. Uh, I I still love that episode. I'm very proud of that episode. And so. That uh, sort of pedigree uh, attached to some recent conversations that I've been hearing have been making me want to revisit it just for a fresh assessment because I remember so little about it and I wonder if I would feel the same way about it or not. So I've been meaning to revisit this, um, but especially it winding up in number 10 of the top 10 favorites of our listeners uh, it pushes me a little bit towards the edge so Hmm. i might have to do that um so number nine is by i think it's safe to say he's a he's a fog favorite around here um his episodes rank among our highest listened to and some of our most lauded entries uh directed by bong joon ho it is his film mother uh with not to be yeah not to be confused with darren aronofsky's mother from only a few years ago mother at least if you say it the way it's written. When you say them together, his is mother. Yeah. And Aronofsky's is mother. 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 That's, that's the one. It's like a bark versus like, sure. you know, a squeak. Uh, yeah. Sure. An overture. Something like that. An overture. Um, I don't want to say too much. Uh, right. Don't, I don't want to say too I much about this it. movie. Yeah, because I know you want to watch it. And so I, I just, I highly recommend it. I great. I get I, the I think impression it might. Be about a parental figure of some type. It is about a parental figure. Cool. That is that is not a metaphor. Um, Speaking but, of uh, films yes. that are not about parental figures, um, is number eight, starring yes. Willem Dafoe, which I've never seen. I just remember its controversy. Yes. Uh, Antichrist, directed by Lars von Trier, whom the only film I've seen of his is Dog. It's a dog. dog Dogville. 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 And yes, I really struggled with that one. I've seen quite a few of his films. Did he do Ironically, Elephant? have not. Se- no, that's Gus Van Sant. No, that was Gus. That was the other Gus three. Yeah, yeah, three yeah. name. Yeah. <laughs> Guy. Yeah. 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 They're all the yeah. same, but peace. Um, I've seen a number of his films. His films are really challenging. He's an interesting filmmaking voice, uh, a pretty controversial filmmaking voice. I have not seen Antichrist as of this recording. I know a little bit about it that n- lets me know I would need to be. It would not be necessarily a wise viewing option in this present state of mind because I have heard that it is very oppressive, dark, sure. heavy film uh, and terribly controversial in some of its yeah. uh, individual content, some of which I already know. And that does not surprise me with Lars. Lars I don't know if it's Van Trier, Von Trier or Von Trier. I'm not sure. But, You're um, usually wrong. I, okay. On names. I, I felt that sentence was going elsewhere. So, um <laughs> Um, so, but, uh, I have seen, you know, I did see Dogville. I saw the follow-up Manderley. Uh, I've seen, uh, the most more recently and somewhat more controversial than even Antichrist. I saw the house that Jack built. Um, and, uh, so he, I also saw, and this is probably my favorite of his sort of output is the miniseries he did called the kingdom, which was really interesting. Uh, actually Stephen King kind of made, 
wrote and adapted an American version called Kingdom Hospital. But I, I can't hmm. speak to this specific film because I have not seen this specific film. Uh, but uh, and and I was curious when it hit, as I have been with all of these lists, like, oh, should I, you know, visit this finally after all this time? But again, what I know about it, uh, probably need to wait till. I'm a little bit more in a positive headspace before I visit this film because I hear so it's very never impressive. Watch it, is what you're saying? Right, way things are going. Possibly looks, looks low. Yes. Um. Anyway, next so, on the list is well, which your is my turn. turn so. Right. I was just. <laughs> I was like, you just you just queuing me up. You just I was. like okay. Here you go. Yeah. Okay. So next on the list is a film directed by Tommy Workola. Another film that I have long been meaning to get to, because I hear it's a lot of fun, but I haven't seen it, is called Dead Snow. What I hear about, and I know very little of this film, but what I hear is it's basically Nazi zombies in the winter. But I hear it's a horror comedy. And, you know, nothing spells funny like Nazi zombies. In the winter. Since you already kicked the door open about... What? Friggin' the victim. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) So, I participated in this, and I, I, I performed in it, and I helped write it, uh, and helped, you know, sort of with some of the production aspect of it. We did this weird, like, motion comic Oh, thing I love that. Called, yes, uh, called Dick, Dick Richard's, Richard's Private, Private Dick. Dick. See? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, you did. Jinx. Yeah, you did. That's my, you know, all these little lame claims to fame. I worked on that. He he helped us out on one episode, but it is true. I share a credit with Dan Harmon of Rick and Morty and Community yeah, Fame right. because he was on, you know, one of our episodes helping us out with it. But um, also Rob Schraub, who was a really fun, great guy. Um, so, but uh, the reason I'm bringing it up is because our villain were Nazi zombies. <laughs> So I was just like, oh, okay. What do you know? Yeah. Small world. So um, it's still out there somewhere. I don't know. It's a little hard to find at this point, but but it's still out there somewhere. If curious, diligent. I I keep wanting to see Dick Richards resurgent. Well, 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 you know, give it time. Give it time. All right. uh, Why don't you (laughs) cue us up with (laughs) number six six. on the list is... M-O-O-N, that spells moon, <laughs> directed by Duncan Jones and starring Sam Rockwell. This is a great flick. That's a wonderful I really, movie. really yeah, enjoy this it. Is, uh, so this is the, the, you know, the first one that I've, I, I've seen Mother and Jennifer's Body, but this is the first one that I'm like, I can seen, I've seen and I can talk about how great it is. It's a really great concept. It's, um, it's, it's kind of, it's science fiction. It, it kind of counts as horror more tangentially but it's it's a really fascinating very very good movie if you have not seen moon directed by duncan jones and starring sam rockwell seek it out you you're in for a treat it's really good go in as blind as you can like knowing nothing about it and just go in watching take out your contacts (laughs) yep those two yep next number five wear dark shades yeah (laughs) okay okay um number five is a really Strange movie. Oh, of course, I get number five with this name. Um, yeah. Good so, luck. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Okay. Uh, directed by, I'm going to say, uh, Jean Colette Serra. <laughs> what you don't know Maybe is I right? just took it to speaker view so that you were center stage when you said that. So that, you know, <laughs> thanks. You. I appreciate yeah. that. I don't know how to say you that name, and I apologize for that. I've, <laughs> no. um, but this is Orphan, directed by that individual who I'm sure is a lovely, wonderful person. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, um, or have you seen Orphan? It stars Vera Farmiga, um, and I believe maybe Sam Rockwell. Or I might be thinking of a different film. But um, Orphan is about a couple that adopts uh, a young girl, and some mayhem ensues. Uh, there right. is there are some surprises in it that are uh, kind of upsetting and uh, likely not expected, even by people who are <laughs> sort of prepping themselves for something that's unexpected. Um, but uh, a pretty effective little thriller. I, I don't love it, but I, I think it's it's really uh, interesting and, and probably worth some time. And it's number five on listeners' favorite films, so it's clearly got some fans. More than, um, more than halfway there. Have you seen it? No, I just said that. Well, I'm, I don't listen to you. I don't know I'm if you just... I'm starting to notice that. <laughs> uh, number four on the list is Triangle, directed by Christopher Smith. I love <laughs> that you got the director of Orphan, and I got <laughs> Christopher Smith. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that it's great. I love it. Thing. I haven't seen Triangle either. So, Okay, now tri- Triangle's awesome. It's a It's a horror film. But it involves, uh, it's got some science fiction elements, specifically some time travel elements that happen sort of in, it's got some interesting elements about time travel that occur in the same place, because most of the film takes place on this boat. Um, That's as much as I want to say about it, because I would highly recommend listeners who have not seen it, seek it out. Again, go in with as little knowledge as possible. It is a really fun, interesting I didn't spoil anything with that setup. It goes to some wild places. What's and, number three, Reed? It's great. Uh, number three is a film that I adore. I think it's fantastic. Um, it's a very different type of film directed by Ty West called The House of the Devil. Um, it is, I think it's technically considered one of those films that would classify as like a I don't know though. They they call them like mumblecore films where they're made through a lot I'm of sorry, improvisation. What? Mumblecore, yeah, yeah, right. Um, but I, I think tonally, it it kind of would would fit in that place. But it's a very deliberately crafted film. Mumblecore films tend to stem from a lot of improvisation and just sort of naturalistic flow of things, with people sort of inventing the the story as it goes. Um, this is a very intentionally crafted, but very subtle and unexpected uh, little film. It is a film set in the eighties that is not at all like trying to lean on 80s nostalgia it purely by coincidence takes place in the 80s but it's not at all like a stranger things or something that's kind of leaning in on the 80s vibe um it's a very 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 affecting film it's really Mm. good um so yeah i I highly recommend ty west's the house of the devil and it's third on the list so i'm sure listeners have got its fan you should you should seek it out if you haven't seen it it's really really good no take it. go ahead what's uh number two on the list is Zombieland, directed by Ruben Fleischer and starring Woody yes. Harrelson and Emma Stone and uh, Bill Murray and Jesse Eisenberg. And I'm missing somebody. Um, yeah. uh, her uh, signs, signs, little yeah, the signs, signs girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Come on. You know her name. <laughs> I bet it? I don't. Oh, <laughs> oh. sad. <laughs> but no, it's the it, it, it is bad. But you know, I'm I'm just as bad as you because you don't remember either. Um. So, but <laughs> but no, I uh, I mean, we could look it up real quick. I'm going to because I feel bad and and <laughs> everyone works for their so, career. 
while you're looking that up, um, again, apologies. Uh, we, we forget stuff around here. Just listen to Nathan for five minutes. You'll figure that out. Um, but so <laughs> Abigail Breslin. Abigail Breslin. That's it. Um, so uh, Zombieland was neck and neck for the entirety of this voting with our number one. Like it was just a very, very minuscule fractional close race. Um, and for a while there, I thought Zombieland was, was going to take it. Um, but, uh, Zombieland is really fun before we pass off that conversation because it is a unique and fun, sort of more lighthearted zombie flick. Have you seen the sequel, Double Tap? I have not. Okay. Double Tap's really a lot of fun. Like, honestly, it's great. I had the advantage of watching them in close proximity with each other. I watched them like literally one day and then the next. And uh, they, I think the criticism of Double Tap is that it is more of the same of Zombieland. But if you enjoy Zombieland, then, I mean, why would you bar- balk at getting right. more of the same? I don't it's know. Fun. <laughs> it's fun. It got good energetic performances. Uh, it's a fun, lighthearted zombie flick. And, uh, and it does not surprise me at all that it's up at number two on the list. Again, had made a strong contender for number one, but it's not number one. I don't. I can't think of a more appropriate film to top a list in 2020. Although this is for 2009, <laughs> than Sam Raimi's directed "Drag Me to Hell," one of the greatest titles ever in horror history. And listeners, that is your number one film, and we are about to talk all about it uh, after we take a brief detour. As Nathan pulls up the global box office for 2009 and the top five biggest box office smashes of 2009. So as I'm looking at this, like it's it is interesting. There are some you know, there are a couple of items that have some science fiction elements to it, particularly Moon and Triangle. Um, But there's a lot of these films that deal with sort of horrific sort of monstrous things like Antichrist and House of the Devil. Uh, I mean, it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of an all over the place list, although I find everything in pairs. Zombieland and Dead Snow both deal with zombies. Uh, Moon and Triangle are both sci fi horror. Um, House of the Devil and Antichrist both deal with sort of those. I mean, I don't know. I can't speak for Antichrist. I just know its title. But um, but no, it's a it, it, it's an interesting little hodgepodge of a list. I find this list curious because I think it is the first one. Maybe not, but I think it's the first one of these that we've encountered that we haven't covered any of these yet. So we're covering Drag Me to mm-hmm. Hell today, but we haven't already covered any of these other films. Interesting um, observation, interesting. Riri. Oh. So what's our box office uh, tally here? So 2009. Let's see. Is there mm-hmm. anything in the top 10 worth mentioning? 2009 is the year that the garbage film X-Men Origins colon Wolverine released. That's a... <laughs> That's colon. a stinker. Good talk about lord. It. Talk about your colon. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of that one. Hey, that one's not. No. That one's not great. No. There's some great Wolverine movies out there, but that one's not. No, it isn't. Uh, number five. So we go through the top five in the 2020-2020 for the look back of the worldwide box office. Hey, speaking of worldwide box office, did you see AMC just released a headline today that like we're not no, gonna survive I, dude i know we I we know. lightly joked with blake on pontypool that uh you know making it through the year but uh we might not 
No, I don't. No, I mean, no, that's crazy. That's just nuts to me. I mean, uh, a, a bi- is Endgame it? I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, in terms of like box office, the- now I haven't heard, I am curious, I haven't heard how other movie cinema franchises like Regal or Cinemark, I, I mean, I haven't heard how they're doing. I know AMC is just a titan in the industry. Right. And, and so the fact that they've been bleeding billions of dollars in cash these past couple of months for not being able to be open and and get some revenue stream it's well and it's fascinating and weird times we don't often dial in on just the industry side of things but it is a valuable conversation considering the moment we're in you know tenant was being looked at as kind of the tent pole to sort of reopen and which is an enormous amount of pressure to put on a single film um but that was that was scheduled for mid July. That is not going to happen. That's not going to happen. No, no, I and don't think it will. You've got the the sort of little foo that happened between Universal and the movie chains when they did Trolls direct to, d- right. to video. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the movie chain said we're not going to show Universal stuff. Like I know, I know. Which I, it's just wild. I'm sorry to cut you off. It's wild the groundwork that inadvertently got laid for streaming platforms that it's yes. like yeah are we going to have movie theaters it's a very know, legitimate and question I, yeah and i i certainly hope so but we we shall see honestly because well, well good no you go ahead. no yeah. i thought about you recently and i meant to text you this so it, this is what's about to happen it, you, you you paint this big picture so netflix just bought yeah. a theater in la yes and yes i saw that you and i had a conversation about within the last 18 months to two years about netflix's mm-hmm. rise and all this sort of stuff and how the next step would only be if they had brick and mortar theaters yes mm-hmm. dude mm-hmm. netflix being the juggernaut it is i can see a world where these chains start going out and they start snapping up these theaters no, it wouldn't I could surprise see that me at all. Happening. Yep. That's crazy. It wouldn't surprise me at all. And my one last comment on the whole AMC thing is I can remember I worked at the Virgin Megastore uh, when we moved, when you and I moved out to California first. And I remember when the sort of the digital music came and you were, you were the prophet in that scenario because you were like, digital music is like the wave of the future. Like digital is where it's at. And me working at the time for a, you know, brick and mortar music store was like, nah, man, like CDs are always going to be around and whatever. I mean, that guy said some stupid <laughs> things, clearly. But um, but it was it was interesting because I can remember when we worked for, uh, it was Universal that first said we were going to, they were going to release, day and date, they were going to release their music digitally at the mm. same time it was released to CD. And I remember the response from the Virgin Megastore at that time was to basically comparable to what AMC and some of the other right. theaters said, which is like, we're not going to highlight your product then. If you're right. going to do that, then we're going to bury your product in the back. Universal kind of shrugged and was like, okay, fine, like because right. we see the market value in doing this. And so when I heard AMC's statement, there was this little pang of like, oh, AMC, that is not a smart position. Do not play hardball on because this. Have you shopped at that Virgin Megastore lately? No. <laughs> and why? And that's the thing. Because they left the States. Right. They, I do think they have a very small presence back in Europe where they were born, but they are not in the United States anymore. They went, you know, kind of down. You know what's time. hilarious, Reed, for my scrubbed brain of a memory? Mm. 
I don't remember many things. I remember sitting across from you at the Mexican restaurant in Columbus, Georgia, and you saying, this digital music thing, it's not going to stick. And I'm like, I think it's here. <laughs> I, think, I think it's so not I, going away. What? I think I think it's very clear then that you remember the times when you've proved me wrong. <laughs> I think. Well, in the moment, I, mean, I didn't know I was proving you wrong. I just sort of oh, surmised. Yeah. I mean, if I remember the times I proved you wrong, I would, clearly wouldn't remember anything else. Um, number wow. five on the, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Number five on the top five worldwide box office for 2009, mm. 2012. What the crap is this? <laughs> Are you looking at the wrong year or is no. this? No, that's no, I know it's, it's a, a disaster film. film. Oh. It's a, it's a, yes, because I, is re- that the, no, I remember there was so much hullabaloo. Like, can you remember eight hullabaloo. years ago when every hullabaloo, hullabaloo. Eight, eight years ago? Remember when the Mayan calendar ends in 2012 yeah, yeah, yeah. and everybody's like, oh, so that's going to be the end of the world. And here we are at 2020. Like, oh, no, I would give anything to go back and argue yeah. about the prophecies. Y2K, of 2012. bring it to me. <laughs> Let's do that again. Y2K. Can we have the Y2K problems back, please? I'm so tired of 2020's problems. Can we have oh, Y2K God. back? Ugh. Oh, Lord. So, yeah, 2012. Um, uh, forgettable. <laughs> um, <laughs> number six on the list is Up. Like, Up didn't outrank That's great. 2012. All right, so 2012 at number five. Number four. Let's skip it. Uh, <laughs> Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I love how you kind of tried to belch through saying that I wrote the fall. Number oh three, gosh. Ice Age, Dawn of the Dinosaurs. Ouch. Number two, <laughs> number two. I mean, number two is Half Blood Prince, which is like the weakest hey, of now, those films. But I like that film. I like that film. It's not a good I film. mean, look, it's, the, I, no, no, I no, love the no. series. I love the franchise. It's not a well constructed film. Even the weakest Harry Potter is still better than some of what's out there in terms of like franchise properties. They are like I'm not going to sure. deny that Half Blood Half Blood Prince, it Half Blood um is kind of lower in terms of like the power and impact of that franchise. But there's still some really some really great things about it. Like we recently went through the entire Harry Potter series of films as a family, and there's still there's a lot of things that I really appreciate about that, namely. I feel like performance wise, you start to get some game step up from even actors who are consistently great, like Alan Rickman. Like he begins to layer on lots of different things to his performance in that film. And I think structure wise, I would probably agree with some of your critiques of that ad- adaptation, but I still think stylistically and performance wise, sure. there's some really great yes. things in you there. You don't have so, to sell yeah. me on liking the Half Blood Prince read. I, well, I feel like I do. You don't. Uh, <laughs> it's just the, it, like, Plot-wise, the film plot-wise is nonsensical. If you try to make sense of it from the book, it's, it doesn't it doesn't work. Okay. Number one on the Conversation list. Conversation for another time. Let's do a B-side where Nathan and Reed Just argue about Half-Blood Prince. Prince. <laughs> it's like, we're, we're, we're not doing a Harry Potter book. We're not doing the no. series. We're not starting at the beginning. We're jumping in at number no. six. Um, no. The last one on the list, or number one, is just Avatar. Whatever. Oh, Avatar came out in 2009. Yeah. And here and here we are uh, 11 years later still waiting for the sequel that they said was coming in like 2013 and 14. And, you better believe James yeah. Cameron's like, what? I need a Cineplex. <laughs> <laughs> I spent yeah, like no $5 billion making three movies that are never going to release, but I need somewhere to put them when they do. 
I just pictured because that's the thing is I read some headline not that long ago where it said James Cameron is is intentionally like self quarantining for two weeks so that he's down the bottom of the ocean. He's like (laughs) he's like what? He just hopped in his submersible. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, a submersible. (laughs) He went went down with the Navi. Oh my gosh! Um, He plugged in. What's astonishing, Reed, is that now. You gotta you gotta account for the novelty of 3D, but Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince worldwide made 933 million dollars. That's a lot. The next film up <laughs> almost tripled that. Yeah, of course. Of no, course. it did triple yeah. that because it was 2.7 billion. So yeah, yes, tripled it. Yeah, that's insane. I mean, it's the told you Half Blood Prince still, isn't good. Well, <laughs> it still astonishes me that Avatar. And yes, the novelty of 3D is the thing, but it still astonishes me that it made as much as it did because yes. I'm just like, yeah. I mean, like, I have you ever rewatched it? I haven't. Well, no. And I was even tempted the other day because it's made it to Disney Plus, which right. we have. And so I was like, I'm, I mean, maybe, but it's just, I remember enough about it to remember how ambivalent I was to it. Now, that makes me feel like, you know, does, know. does Disneyland have the Avatar stuff? No, it's world. So, yeah, in well, Florida. I know it's, I've been there. Um, <laughs> okay. No, land has nothing. What's yeah. insane? I remember I remember when Relative to Avatar, Disney was planning the Avatar Zone as part of um, Animal Kingdom at Disney World. I'm like, what? Why? Did, why? <laughs> and this is what's lame about being a Disney fan and a dad and stuff and a movie fan is like, the Avatar ride, it's called, I think it's called Flight of the Navi. It's, it's one of the finest pieces of live awesome. amusement ever. It is That's astonishing. Awesome. My entire family, like, loved this ride. And all I could think was like, damn it. What? Avatar? <laughs> I don't, I don't want to like okay. this as much as I do. What? What? I'm and, just, and yeah. now they see it on Disney Plus and they're like, oh, can we watch it? I'm like, it's three hours. I don't want to watch it. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say his name because I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if he'd appreciate it. But uh, Sam Worthington. No, no, I'm no, no. Uh, my my wife and I are close family friends with one of the Imagineers who designed the Avatar ride, and he worked on I mean, the I, don't Indiana you just know Jones. At this point, I I just assume you know everybody because <laughs> it's. I mean, it's a little true. You're lacking the um, listicle, but. He is a he is a super sweet guy. He's a very big Star Trek fan like I am, and I would go over to his house frequently and we would watch Star Trek films and Star Trek episodes together. But yes, he helped design he was on the design team for the Indiana Jones ride and he was also on the design team for the Avatar ride. So I have not had the privilege or pleasure of seeing very much from the ride. So it delights my heart to know that that was the experience you had of, of going on it. Because it's yeah, unbelievable. I, heard, I hear it's great. Yeah. I hear it's great. Um, I would like to go he, to Disney World right now. I need. <laughs> oh God, need please. Place. <laughs> yeah, please. All right. So that was uh, 2020, 2020 for 2009, and uh, the favorite film of the year. We're about to dive into right now. Here's the thing, man. I'm gonna lay my cards on the table. Do you ever not? I, well, let me think about that. <laughs> um, you don't. I love this movie. I love Drag Me to Hell. I love it. I I am going to heap. A mountain of nonsensical praise on it. 
I am curious. I would be a good foil I, for you in this. I know that's the thing because because you know shout out and pour a cold one out for um, our weekend where we got together with some of our friends, our quarterly king fan uh, friends, um, where on writing was produced that weekend. We we watched a lot of Sam Raimi because we watched the entire Evil Dead trilogy and we, or not the entire one. I think we just watched Evil Dead Two and Army of Darkness, but we also watched. Uh, drag me to hell, and I know coming out of that that you were a bit ambivalent towards. But correct me if I'm uh, wrong. Didn't we watch Drag Me to Hell first? I think we did. I can't, I can't remember I the sequencing. You, you could be right. You could be right. Because um, I was like, "What am I watching?" <laughs> because I didn't have the Raimi sensibility yet. I was that's like, "That's right." That's I was right. Like, wait, you're wait, right. Wait, wait. No, you're right. <laughs> um, and so I was very curious how you would receive it this time around, knowing your sort of ambivalence to it. Um, I'm not going to hold back on my affection and praise for it, but I don't want you to hold back either on like your, your sort of sensibility or intake of it. Don't, you know, don't be bullied by my affection for it. I, you know, speak exactly how you felt about this film when you rewatched it again. I'm not afraid anymore. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I, I wasn't planning to be bullied, but now you've got me worried. Um, <laughs> I mean, what do you want to? What do you want to say? What? Do you, what? What'd you? What'd you think? Of oh, it? what'd oh, you oh. think of it when you watched it? This time or the first time or both times or? I mean, hey, this you you permission to speak freely. You just say whatever's on your mind. That's a Star Trek reference that I understood. Um, <laughs> halfway through it last night, I was like, oh, "What is this? <laughs> what is this? I mean, I don't know. What I'm this is. living the title of this movie. I feel like I'm just getting." <laughs> Drag deeper in, and I'm like, <laughs> um, oh my gosh! No, here's the thing. Like, and and I don't know that I want to lead with this, though. Maybe we can, because uh, it's not particular specific to the film. But it's interesting. I have this respect for Ramy the craftsman. Mm, mm-hmm. It took me a bit to comprehend. So, so you have to remember my Ramy. Uh, my initial Raimi experience was Spider-Man period. Ah, sure. And that's, that's a, not a great bellwether for what he does. It, it's got sensibilities about it, but Mm -hmm. it's, Mm -hmm. but it's still a pretty straight kind of superhero story. Yeah, sure. So when Spider-Man one and two are my basis now, having consumed more Raimi at this point, it makes, Spider-Man dance sequence make a whole lot more sense. Um, <laughs> but when those films, I had seen nothing of his before those. So I saw all those. Yeah, sure. And then it was uh, for us that I watched evil dead first. Oh, and right, then, right, right. Of course. A yeah, year ago, yeah. watching drag me to hell, evil dead Two, and army of darkness all at once. Mm-hmm. And so I was just unprepared for what I've come to refer to as just the Looney Tune sensibility of sure, what yeah. he kind of does, which is, which is totally fine. Here's, I'm not positing this as a, as a, a, a debate point, though I do, I am curious to hear your thoughts. Cause last night when I was watching it, I was like, why is this just not clicking for me? Um, mm, mm, okay. And I think in this case, part of it, is the performer is, is Alison Lohman. I really, what, and hear me, I, I'm not even 
criticizing her performance. I'm saying what helped me start to gain footing for Raimi's style was his muse of Bruce Campbell, like watching Ash versus Evil Dead, which, you know, you can kind of backlay the, the Ash versus Evil Dead sort of, um, vibe onto the Mm -hmm. Evil Dead series. Sure. Sure. Campbell knows what he's in. Mm -hmm. Yes. I don't know if she does. It, and interesting or okay. or that i don't know what i'm watching that's that's the discrepancy is like watching drag me to hell the first time was jarring because i was like what is this like i don't get it this is like a straight it felt like a straight story that all of a sudden just wackadoo silly zany absurd level gets really absurd stuff yeah, is happening yeah, yeah. I was like, well, I can't tell how I'm supposed to understand this, which again, first time I saw drag me to hell was before the rest of the evil deads and Ash for Evil Dead. So what rewatching it this time with a new sort of comprehension of its conventions, I was like, okay, now why is this not kind of clicking with me? And I, I don't know if, and I'm saying this sincerely, I don't know if I'm just not getting it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was interrogating watching it this time through. Because it, hear me, it wasn't like um, House of a Thousand Corpses. House of a Thousand Corpses, by the end, I'm like, this is pain. Like, this is painful. <laughs> right, like, sure, I yeah. will turn this off. Yeah. It wasn't yeah, that sure, sure, feeling. Sure. It was simply like, <laughs> I I respect the artist. And, and uh, sure, there's a world where you could just say, well, it's just not for me. I can't. I'm not ready for that yet either. I mean, the guy's yeah, directing sure, Doctor yeah. Strange too. Come on. Bring it to me, Sam. He is. Um, he is. So yeah. I'm excited for that. Get ready for more zany. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I guess all that that that's all I could that's all I could sort of suss out was if and it's possible it's just I don't get it or or it's not for me I don't know that I'm there yet so if it's not that all I could figure out was the the actor is acting like she's in a straight story. Versus again, uh, the Bruce Campbell comparison, which is unfair. I know it's unfair, but Campbell, whether at the outset of his work in Evil Dead or not, ultimately knew what he was in and, and played to the, to the rafters in his performance. Whereas this just yeah. doesn't feel that way. Does that make any sense? Am, am it, I it actually makes a lot of sense. No, it actually makes a lot of sense. So, so I think Alison Lohman is a, is a really strong performer, but I know, you know, that she is not a horror fan. In fact, when she got cast in this film, she tried to give herself a bit of a quick education on horror um, to try to bring her up to speed and watched films like, you know, according to a couple of interviews, watched films like The Shining or whatever. If you are entering into a Sam Raimi film and your, you know, sort of fundamental bases are more uh, direct sort of epic, you know, I mean, like, you can't enter into Raimi's sensibilities coming from Kubrick. Like, sure, they're, just right. com- they're completely different. And to be, so it and would to not be clear, so- real quick, I'm sorry. I'm actually yeah, not a- criticizing her as a performer. I, I no, want I get that it. Clear. Yeah, no, no, I get it. So, no, because that's the thing is, I, like, I feel like maybe, she, maybe there's something to the fact that she was playing it much more straight, whereas. Bruce Campbell in the midst of those films, like you're, you're right. He is not under any illusions about the type of material he's in. And, and I think that is, um, is something that, that might, 
might cause it to connect. Although, um, I feel like for me, it doesn't quite bother me. She acts as a bit of an anchor to all of the rest of the zaniness. And maybe that's just a calibration thing that, that, you know, cause that's my experience of it is she is like this very sort of direct character. And again, I keep coming back to that word anchor. And that sort of helps me to absorb some of the ridiculousness that's going on around her um, because she's a bit more of a metronome. Well, here's here's a comp that just came to mind. Again, it sounds like I'm saying, ah, oh, Saloma's not a good actor. That's not what I'm saying. But think about Samara Weaving in this movie. Think about the ready or oh, not man. Grace, right? She God. knows what she's in. Yeah. And she's Samara in Weaving on the would- joke. She's so great in this film. Oh my God. Right. I mean, like Alice, think about, I mean, look, cause what yeah. clicked with me the most was the scene, you know, is, is the, is the blood eruption on her boss. I'm like, <laughs> I know we're not playing this straight, but this performer sure. yeah, is not, is, is still acting like she's in a standard thing. Sure. Is no, all I, I'm trying I, I to say. Yeah. And, and so Samara weaving just popped in my head. I was like, Oh, she would have killed in this film. Oh my gosh, Samara Weaving would be so great in a film like this. But I mean, like, yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. And again, I think both of us would say we don't want to take anything away from yeah. Alison Lohman yeah. as a performer because I do think she's, you know, she does a really good job. But I do, I can kind of get on board with, yeah, maybe there's a disconnect in terms of the exact, is she on the wavelength of what she's in? And, um, that, and uh, that's a fair question. Um, I think for me, this is the type of film and horror can provide a lot of different contexts of things. Um, I think what Sam Raimi does really well, which by the way, one film that I don't know if you've ever seen or not. Have you ever seen a simple plan starring Bill Paxton, no. Billy Bob Thornton? Okay. It's, it's pretty, it's direct, right? It's straight. It is very, yeah, no yeah. zaniness whatsoever. Right. And it's his, and it's his best film, like unqualified, like that's his strongest film. It is outstanding. That film is amazing. Um, and it's very direct, no outrageousness to it whatsoever. Um, it's a powerful film. I would, I would go watch it right now. But, um, I think the thing that he does and that he, that Sam Raimi brings to the table with some of this zaniness is, I mean, you think about a film like this and horror, and this is part of why we do this show. Horror provides some context through which you can explore things in a bit of a different, environment or a bit of a different context and uh it provides some metaphors that you can play around with you get into your hereditaries or your midsummers or your kind of more uh intellectual highbrow horror what they call elevated horror which i don't know if i like that term but um you get into those kind of films and and uh horror can provide an opportunity to sort of really get into the nitty-gritty of certain things but every once in a while i love just an outlandish absurd take everything to its extremes kind of story like you're starting right out the gate with the title like drag me to hell <laughs> this sure. is a, this yeah. you know this is you're on its face is a a ridiculous absurd sort of extremity and then i was really paying attention i do have a few trivial bits but but the, you know uh, let's just have the conversation we're having um I, right on its right on its face i'm seeing like man this girl is up against so much unfairness like sure. <laughs> first of yeah, all she's yeah. got the freaking the d-bag co-worker who's vying for her promotion at the same time you've got her just outrageously uh dismissive and uh passive aggressive boss uh you have she's dating a genuinely good guy who loves her but his parents are so elitist in everything and that that three-piece suit doesn't fit he looks <laughs> 
<laughs> he looks like a <laughs> looks like a child. That's so funny. Wearing his uh, dad's suit to work. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. So um he's but but you know, there's just so many things up against her. And I love I mean again, I'm gonna heap a lot of affection on this film. I love the I sort of absurdity <laughs> the sort of absurdity of the premise that she's like she also is a kind of basically good person who has a really good heart and she has this one moment this one moment against a character who is by their very initial description is off-putting their visual sort of presentation that that uh mrs ganush is like an off-putting a bit unsettling you know kind of gross character you think and (laughs) this woman who again is fundamentally good makes this like one decision and even still like even in the moment when she supposedly shames Miss Ganush it's she's she's just sort of wanting her to back off she's not even trying sure, to like sure. humiliate her she just wants her to back off so it's like this one moment of weakness and then suddenly for that one single thing and this will probably come up when we discuss themes again that one single thing she just gets put through the absolute ringer culminating in spoiler alert. If you haven't seen the film, I mean, the film is called drag me to hell. And in that, that's how the, that's what the film leaves you with is this basically good person having gone through all of these efforts only to get dragged down to hell. <laughs> that's when, and there is something I say this sincerely. There is something pretty cathartic about the ridiculousness of that. There's something a bit, uh, it sounds too lofty a word to say cleansing. Cathartic is probably the better word to just sort of enter into this notion of, uh, the absurd extremity of all of these bad, evil, wicked things that are going to come and pounce on you. Um, and, and I appreciate that about this film. I don't even know how high minded Ramey and team wanted to be in setting out to make it. I think they really just wanted to sort of dance around in the sandbox of ridiculousness. Yeah. And which is and which again is totally fine. But but rewind a year of my life, which feels like twenty, and uh, you know, I'm hanging out with buddies new and old who are all horror fans and yes, pretty much course. had all seen this. The only Ram Ramey I'm familiar with that I've seen was uh Spider Man and we had done Evil Dead by then, the first one. Yeah, yeah we had. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But even Evil Dead 1 is its own beast. But so all I know is the title and the cover. And I'm mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. these dudes are digging this flick. Okay, man, I am going to show up and be part of the team. What is wrong and with no, me? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm saying before we even started, I was oh. thinking, uh, I'm not naming the movie, but the, using the adjective, I was thinking like sinister, like this is going to be dark and effed oh, up and like it. drag me yeah, to hell. Yeah. And there's a chick on the front being dragged literally into hell. This is going to be so grimy. <laughs> and then I'm like, what is this? <laughs> it was, it was a, uh, no, thank you. <laughs> No, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, I, you know, like, I, I am not going to be combati- combative towards your affection for it. It, it just. Sure, sure, you sure, know. sure. Uh, so. I will say uh, uh, Ganesh go ahead. was not following any CDC guidelines at all. None. Like, None. I will say this. We talked last week in the leftovers about we can't go back to normal. What we need is new. Like. 
I can't handle in movies anymore. I'm like, y'all need to wash your hands. Like <laughs> you are too close. That lady gumming on your face. Y'all did. You did. Gums her face. So many times. WTF, like, man. Like, like four it's times. just like a pastime like, that she does. Oh my gosh. At this point. Yes. Oh, <laughs> let me gum on your face a little bit. <laughs> so gross. All right, let me get the trivial bits out of the way because there's not that many. Um, so I don't know if you were paying attention, but the good old ash yellow Delta eighty eight makes an appearance. Good. That's Ms. Yeah, that's Miss Ganesha's oh, car. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, yes. And um, so I just I love that. He actually, Ramey actually wanted Bruce Campbell to make a cameo, but Bruce Campbell was on the TV series Burn Notice and mm. couldn't work out the scheduling for it. Um, I did write down that the Drag Me to Hell concept is actually a combination of uh, sort of an ancient mythological legend and the Krampus legend, where mm-hmm. there's like mm-hmm. a, uh, someone sort of torments a wrongdoer and sort of, you know, drags them into the afterlife uh, because of some, you know, transgressions that they had. I don't know if you noticed that this was uh, because if you watch the same version I did, you watch the unrated cut. The rated cut is PG-13. The uh, the the regular theatrical cut is only PG thirteen. Even as bananas as this film gets, uh, I still find. Do that you know specifics of what's different? Um, I think the unrated cut, which I believe is the version you and I both watched, mm-hmm. is um, just more gory and bloodier in a couple of key scenes. I think the main thing One they had more to cut was scene. <laughs> right the, the, when she has the nosebleed. Which is really like a nose gush inside the office building. I think that's much shorter. Please never say the phrase nose gush again. That's that's Mm. that that ain't right. Yeah, that ain't right. Oh, there's a that ain't right list coming up uh, Mm -hmm. that I'll have to. uh, Yeah, let know. Um, Sam Raimi was busy on Spider Man and wanted Edgar Wright to direct this because he had written this script before he began work on Spider Man. Spider Man three concurrent to that? No, no, it's pre Spider Man one. He wrote this script oh. before he ever got involved in the Spider-Man franchise and was going to direct it. Uh, but then when he was so involved with, you know, Spider-Man one and two and three, he he wanted the film to come to fruition. So he invited Edgar Wright to direct it. But Edgar Wright was working on Hot Fuzz at the time mm. and also said he didn't think he was the right fit for the material. So then after Spider-Man three and and there's a lot of conversation around Sam Raimi just sort of being disenfranchised a bit with the way Spider-Man 3 went and all that kind of stuff. So he wanted like a palate cleanser. Sure. Kind of get back to his roots. And a nose was gush. Yeah. A nose gush, yeah. Um, so uh, my last little bit is uh, that it is frequently compared to a much more direct and straightforward horror film from 1957 called Curse of the Demon, which is a film I've seen and I love. Um, there's a lot of uh, sort of subtle differences between the plots, but sort of the fun fundamental overall plot is the same um particularly like the climactic scenes take place at a train station the demons look similar in terms of the horned sort of figure and there's a cursed object that gets passed and and you have like a a finite amount of time before this demon is going to come and like claim you and all that kind of stuff so um that ends my uh trivial bit session unless you have any for this film then we can move on um so my first on on likes is the film just throws down right away in the first five minutes when it literally drags a child to hell. <laughs> like, like you know the kind of tone that you're in for when that is your opening salvo. Um, 
And I had mentioned before that the film front loads a lot of just unfair dynamics against Christine's character because, you know, the the sleazy guy at the bank, her boss, the elitism of her her parents, uh, the the push from her boss to make the tough decisions. You know, there's just a lot kind of coming up against her that steps into that. She needs to take Uh, him to HR. (laughs) No kidding. Um, And so what I I do find interesting that we can maybe get into more when we get to the theme portion is. I do think there's something to the fact that it is this one moment in the film that she decides to, you know, have this sort of selfish ambition against her own sure. initial desires. She wants to do something for Miss Ganesh. She is she is compassionate by nature, and so she wants to do something, but she's also trying to get this assistant manager's position, and then the guy's totally, the, the boss totally sets her up with, like, it's a tough decision. See, it's your call. It's really just you know? an indictment of capitalism. And I mean, hierarchical, transactional, like tit for tat, like whatever gets you on the wavelength of this film. I am (laughs) all for, (laughs) Uh, you know, yeah. She's just trying to make it in the world. Like boyfriend's mama don't like her. Miss Ganesh is just like belching and blorching all over. (laughs) (laughs) Now you will Um, appreciate this. I'm like, you know what? I don't know how I feel about this movie, but I recognize signature Raimi stuff inanimate objects coming to life the wind yes. and the leaves rustling the low camera yeah, angles mm-hmm. you know the dance the dancing deadites look at you look at you I mean, that goat face in that seance scene is so sam raimi that is absolutely that is that is like that's a deadite right there that's what that goat is that goat is a deadite sure um and uh yeah it's it's fantastic um <laughs> So what else do I have in my in my likes dislikes scene? <laughs> so um, I did love. I did, I'm, I'm, sh- stop. Go ahead. No, um, no. Uh, I'm trying to give a compliment here. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, please. It's a it's a single frame of the film. I loved the imagery of the shadow Lamia climbing the stairs to her room. That's your like. Uh, that's what you wrote. Down. That's what I wrote. I mean, I wrote down a bunch of them. Yeah. Um. I I love the ending of this film. I don't want the ending of this film to be any different. Uh, like I feel like this is the perfect way to end this what? absurd. Like, there's a crap ton of stuff that happens. What are you referring to specifically? I'm t- I'm referring to the fact that she goes through all of this. She stuff. She goes to hell. You like it when people go to hell? Is that what we're after? Reed? Is that what we're discovering? Is like Reed's like, man, I love redemptive violence, and I this want is people. A, wow. I want people who mistake make a mistake once to have eternity's wrath heaped upon them there would in a film like this there would be no catharsis no real catharsis if she's put upon and oppressed and all of those things go uh you know she she goes through all of this torment and then manages to just like shove the problem down the throat of the person that she evicted to begin with well like, I forgot, there would be no c- i forgot catharsis. i remembered that she'd given the button to little guy uh and yes but i'd forgotten that it was her that get pulled down i thought my my in my memory it was oh that's right oh the big thing is she gave him the button mm-hmm. and he's gonna get drugged oh right 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 no drug to heck to me it's like in the same way in the same way that, like, Little Shop of Horrors, the original ending of Little Shop of Horrors, in the same way that, like, you like Seymour, you like Audrey, but Seymour, through the course of that film, decides to 
you know, actively kill people and feed them to Audrey too. Sure. And there's a version where you could say he doesn't get his proper comeuppance because you you are okay with it because you like him so much. And in this sort of context, like, I feel like you don't have a, it's a diluted catharsis and ultimately a failed catharsis if she does not actually get dragged to hell in the end of the film because the whole piece is absurd the whole thing is absurd so i so and and we have some scares that we can get to but let me let me sort of lean in on where i'm going with theme here and and we can pivot back into scares and then sort of unpack more of this later like a major element that i love about this film is it takes some legitimate concerns that you would talk about in therapy and blows them up to ridiculous proportions which makes them feel ridiculous by nature i have wrestled probably for reasons of my upbringing and for reasons of my own psychology i wrestle a lot with this this sort of paradigm that when bad things happen they must be rooted in mm. those singular times that i made a bad choice sure. and i and and we talked in under the shadow about the ways you can personalize tragedy and the ways that you can say like okay well all of these big things are happening but it's happening because i made this choice and this choice you know and because these these finite very small choices that i made hinge on and listen there are some people who I feel like still sort of operate theologically in this spectrum where they think that mountains and mountains of good can be undone by fractional sort of compromised decisions. Sure. And I think there's a real, there's a real conversation that you could have about the ways in which small decisions, like in the creation narrative, uh, eating the fruit, you know, uh, brings down wrath and sin upon all of creation and all of that. And I, and I do find, uh, you know, I feel like me thinking that disaster has come upon me because of a couple of bad choices is a very narcissistic perspective. I think for me to believe that I hold that much power in the world is incredibly narcissistic of me. And yet sometimes I still, <laughs> sometimes I still wrestle with the complexity of that perspective and a film as absurd as it is like drag me to hell where is like oh she had that she's she's good she's a good person she's got a good heart she even confesses at the end that she had done the right the wrong thing because she could have helped her and chose not to help her so she does all of the right things and and i feel like that's the catharsis that a film like this can offer is it shows how ridiculous it is to feel like you are the harbinger of all of these awful things as if these that that you hold that much power in sort of your your negative compromised choices to bring down literally the wrath of the demons of hell to to you know hinge on these minuscule little choices and like i said there's a an other side of that conversation that talks about the way a moment of compromise can undermine a great deal of good. But that's that's a big thing that sure. I appreciate about this film is that sort of but, absurdist explosion. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I I like what you're extrapolating. I think your interpretation is a lot stronger than I've, – I've seen it twice, um, mm -hmm. which isn't me saying oh, I'm an expert now. I'm saying in the two viewings <laughs> – what you just identified was much more articulated than I feel like the film does. Mm, uh, okay. To me, I, I, I actually was wondering like, man, she is 
a turd towards this woman. The woman's a wreck. I'm not arguing Ganesh is yeah, sure. not. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, just of course. Jacked up. But I guess what I'm saying is, except for that moment that you're referring to at the end of, of kind of momentary confession, generally speaking, I don't think the character owns much complicity in the wrongdoing. Or maybe you're saying that's the point. There is no, compl- I don't know. I do think, I mean, I do, I do think that's part of the point. What? So, okay. So that, that, the, the she is all about avoiding the consequence of it, and admittedly, the punishment does not fit the crime for for this particular sort of dynamic. But she's all about avoiding the consequence of that has been sort of pushed upon her. She's been cursed with this thing; has basically three days to fix it somehow, or she is literally going to be doomed for all eternity right. and tormented for all eternity, and. It is that moment of lucidity at the end where she feels it's very important, but she feels it's very important now that she's out of the thick of the consequences. And so she feels that she's sort of put the whole thing to bed. And that's the moment that she's like, okay, I'm never going to do anything like that again. Like I'm never, you know, uh, uh, now that I've avoided consequence, I'm never going to sort of make that compromised decision again. I could have helped and I didn't help. And, uh, and that was, you know, wrong of me. That was a big problem. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I do feel like, again, maybe I am bringing some things to the film, but I'm, but I'm using film text to extrapolate everything that I'm bringing. You know, I'm not, uh, you know, I, I feel like whether Sam, Ra- Sam Raimi realized it or not, I did read somewhere that they were intentionally trying to structure it as a classical morality play, albeit to absurd conclusions. But um, I do think that's part of what this film has to offer is there's a sense that you can enter into this of like, I'm just trying to get this right, everybody. I'm just trying to do good. And, you know, there's there's the piece of it to say, like, hey, okay, don't compromise even for a moment because literally you'll open Pandora's box. And that is a I keep referencing that 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 is a pretty old concept of. Pandora in that myth was, you know, just a curious individual. She makes like that one wrong choice and unleashes monstrous things onto onto the world. And I feel like that is something, at least psychologically, that we need to probably enter into a little bit and and just sort of look at how I I keep coming. I've referenced it before. I keep coming back to that that line from No Country for Old Men where uh, Tommy Lee Jones's friend looks at him and says, like, you can't stop what's coming. Like, it's not all just waiting on you. And I think there's a tremendous amount of value in exploring our own vanity in the power that our choices have, because I do feel like you can minimize your choices and diminish them to where you do not give the choices you make the proper gravity and how they can affect other people. I think the reverse of that is also harmful, where you feel like you turn the world on its axis with your choices. And right, that, right. you know, the singular thing you do brings about all of this sort of evil and wickedness. And, uh, you know, and I feel like both of those perspectives are far too in the extreme to really be helpful or mature, but that's so often where we find ourselves in one of those places or another, either my choices don't matter or my choices are all that matters. And, uh, and I feel like there's, there's, there's better conversation to be had. So anyway, well, that's no, no, what no. I'm I mean, I, I don't want you to film. feel, uh, self-conscious because I think that 
I, I am I am trying to mentally take the things you're laying out and overlay them onto my experience of the film and be like, why is this so asynchronous for me? Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I kind of can't get away from just feeling like, you know, kind of what I said earlier that, and maybe I just, I'm not going to go through the work of watching it a third time just to answer this question for myself, but <laughs> like, you know, did I just miss some of the text of her character? Because I didn't get the impression. It felt like the bulk of the film, she's just avoiding consequence for an action. She kind of doesn't consider that bad an action. Agreed. You no, know, I, no, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. Um, but what? Speak. No, no, no. Uh, let's, because I want, you know, I want to explore that a little bit more so we can either, you know, dive into that right now or we can rattle off the that ain't right list and then dive back into that a little bit. Because I think that pivots some of the, some of the that ain't right, the, the that ain't right stuff, I think kind of fuels a little bit more of what I'm saying. So maybe we uh, pivot over there for, for a moment before we dive back in and then, and then head to winding down. Yeah. What's, what's on your list of, of scares or, and or absurdity? that face all of it man (laughs) i mean come on you know like uh, like coughing up that nasty junk and then like they those (laughs) those moments where you want to like tip your hat to the foley artist and be like y'all know what you are doing with this (laughs) squishy scorchy sound when she's just pawing her handkerchief and it's just block block that ain't oh come on man come on. <laughs> oh, that yeah. ain't right stop yeah yeah <laughs> now you know how that that's, different. that's different <laughs> that's funny that's nasty um i will say this one of my favorite shots of the film is miss ganesh in the back seat when she's in shadow that's great yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, um, yeah yeah it's great that's a really great shot uh and you know that it's just the whole car stuff the conflict i'm like what gumming her to death good oh my God. lord what about really so awful she <laughs> staples her head and just like oh my god three years oh. too long i'm done <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. uh um, yeah only only sam raimi can make make a staple or work in that moment yep yep uh dude that fly going up her nose oh, when she's asleep no, that ain't right no. made me think right. of mommy dearest mommy dearest i did it again good night mommy yeah you did <laughs> good night mommy <laughs> good night mommy it's late good night not mommy, mommy dearest good night mommy made me think of that yeah. i'm like uh-huh. boo oh my god that old lady in in the dream threw up maggots and worms all over that woman's face there is like, way too much expulsion that ain't right. regurgitation happened in this movie like <laughs> nose gush drag me to the bathroom <laughs> expulsion and regurgitation drag me to the oh remote God. um <laughs> uh oh the lady gum in her face that like that's like 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 poop club got reset two weeks ago <laughs> old lady with no teeth gumming your <laughs> face while bodily syllabic fluid poor you know just seeps and oozes out like like in the new world where germ germs are everywhere and will kill you that is a new reset for that ain't right i'm like i went and washed my hands after that scene like i am so nastified 
What? Where's a bag lady for me to barf on? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that ain't ain't right. That character just spews bile all over her face. Like, as she's just sitting there. Oh, my God. It's so gross. It's so gross. Yeah, that's next level. That ain't right. That is next level. That ain't right. And I think that's the thing. So, I'm not even disagreeing with you about, like, maybe Alison Lohman is playing you know, playing it a bit too straight when she's in a film this zany and absurd. Um, But I think it is the absurdity of it all that really helps me to sort of feel the ridiculousness of some of the things that I get very, very pent up about. Like, I don't know, I'm frequently sort of uh, crippled is is a bit too dramatic a word of it, but at least hindered. Hindered is probably a better word. I'm frequently hindered by this self-obsession of always threading the needle of the exact right decision and saying the exact right thing and doing the exact right moment. And, and, and it's not even just the moments of... I don't have very many moments of willful, like, I'm doing something I know is not a good a good choice. That actually happens you know, incredibly rarely, most often it's the things that are just, I didn't realize that that was going to be a bad idea. I didn't realize that that was not going to be, you know, and, and it's rooted in selfishness and it's rooted in, um, you know, neglect, uh, of certain things that I should be more attentive to. Um, it's, it's far less willful for me, but no less my responsibility. For instance, if I'm just focused on myself and and sort of, you know, sleepwalking through my days and, and not giving the attentive presence that my family deserves of me, that's not necessarily something I would say is a is, you know, an active, willful transgression on my part, but it's definitely something that's my fault and it and it could bring about bad things in my world and in my family and in my life if I don't attend to those kind of things. But I have, and again, maybe maybe listeners will hear something like this and think, Reed needs therapy. Maybe they'll hear something like this and <laughs> That's think- That's what I'm here for, Reed. I appreciate that. Maybe they'll hear something like this and they can relate. But I think it's it, there. there is this way in which you can feel profoundly guilty or profoundly oppressed by- these momentary decisions. And I think in a lot of ways, we feel like either we have no power in the situation or that we have far too much. And I feel like a film like this allows me, maybe not everybody, but it allows me to enter into the absurdity of thinking like, oh, yeah, because I'll tell you, like, there are things going on. And I had this conversation and I'll, I'll, I, I might be done sort of encompassing my thoughts on this film. I had a conversation with someone. uh, It's actually an employee of mine and they were really stressed out about work and they called me and they said, I just need to talk to you like, yes, you're my boss, but I need to talk to you like just person to person as a friend. And they were talking about different things. And one of the, one of they were feeling overwhelmed and they were feeling really stressed out. And one of the things that I said to them is I said, Hey, you know, in the process of doing your best work, I need you to remove the feeling that your job holds ultimate power over you. And I need you to remove the feeling that failing at something here is going to be the ultimate end to everything because you're not going to think straight about the choices you need to make on the job if you're constantly afraid that one bad choice is just going to bring the house of cards down. And and so I tried in my effort, and, and, and presumably it helped a little bit, 
uh, tried in my effort to say, like, you first of all need to take all the pressure off of these choices you're making. You need to try to make the best right choice you can, but take all of the pressure off. And something like a film like this is like, oh, my gosh, I can't I can't I can't make that one wrong decision or else I'm going to get dragged to hell, you know, and 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 that's the thing that yeah, it kind of makes that feeling absurd. You know, I love thematically what you're putting down. I do. Um, and that's not yeah. me pacifying you. Um, I, I genuinely like that. And as I'm sort of re-imaging it, yeah, I, th- I think it's either, and I'm okay if it is this, I don't get it. Or for me, it's her performance. Because I think what you're describing, having watched this film twice, and I only say that as in it's not like a first run anymore. Um, right sure no of course of course i don't feel i don't feel her exasperation connected to the choice she made i feel her annoyance that these things Mm. are happening to it do you see what the decision i'm trying to make there like whereas what you're describing sounds more like what i think the film is after and Mm. clearly Mm -hmm. on a certain level accomplishes which is you're an idiot for assigning this much weight to one thing. And because you're an idiot for doing that, right, we're going to show you right. just how idiotic it's going to be because we're <laughs> going to get hell for it. You know, like, yeah. right, I, right, 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 right. You know who else came to mind as I was thinking through, like who it's, um, who would play? It? Yeah. I, I don't have her name in front of me, but, um, Schitt's Creek sister, like the level oh, yeah, of yeah, yeah. exasperation yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. annoyance and ultimate mm-hmm. sort of like, Anyway, point being, for me at least, the the audience surrogate that I think Christine is supposed to be, I just never connected. Um, but mm, mm. you know the um, you know all the trappings are, are are zany and fun and wild. I mean, come on, the garage scene with the perfectly placed anvil suspended overhead, like <laughs> you can't get more. <laughs> next level yeah rube goldberg device and i guess that's all i'm saying for me at least is just your what you're taking from it i like and see i just don't see what you're describing played and so it took i understand it took Mm -hmm. your outlining some of that to be like okay i can sort of see what i can see the value you take out of it yeah, I, I don't. I don't know that I'm there, but you know, whatever. It's okay. Which, yeah, which I mean, that's that's completely fine. That's completely fine. Um, yeah, because I I feel like that's what you know, and 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 I would be interested to hear how listeners you know respond to this film and what they think about it. Um, I, well, clearly it's up there for them. You know, sure. tops, tops the list, and and giving some lip service to the fact that it was neck and neck with Zombieland, maybe. You know, we extend it one more week, a few more votes come in, maybe Zombieland is the top. But there's no denying that it was at least going to be either first or second, depending well, on I'll, whenever we cut off the voting. I'll you know? own and will always wonder with some of these earmark horror personalities like a Sam Raimi. Like, if, you know, if I if I had gotten into him at ground zero, hit the ground running, mm-hmm. you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and just... Like, I can see a world where, oh, I'm on board. Like, it doesn't matter. If Framie's sure. doing yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I'm in it. I think coming late, I have a more, uh, not criticizing, but more critical eye I'm coming in with that kind of doesn't work yeah. for his most 
fully realized versions of his stuff you know sure anyway, sure anyway. and i can yeah and i can appreciate that but um yeah uh i mean i'm fine to pivot over into the fog down, meter you no down. you haven't let me down no i got to speak my piece i got to i got to say yeah because I'm I, really you, and I, think, I think you make a great case for the value you find in it yeah because i feel like that's the, the again that is i i can you know in the spirit of last week's conversation where we're trying to you know uh meet ourselves and and sort of understand how we feel about it this is one where i feel like i've got quite a bit of clarity on the reason why i love a film like this is because it allows me for a moment to not take myself so seriously and not take the the ways i approach certain choices because i do put a lot of pressure on myself sure. to always make always do the right thing always make the right I know choice and, I've known you for and, 20 years. <laughs> and 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 feeling like okay if i don't make the right choice it i'm going to get dragged to hell like that's going to be the worst thing and this film helps me in its way to see you know what that's probably a little self-centered and narcissistic and more than a little ridiculous so let's take a step back Let's try to have a little bit more of a mature approach because that's the kind of thinking that lives in a bit of absurdity. Sure. Whereas the, there's there's a more sort of, you know, a more realized, a more mature, a more uh, whole self, a more full bodied. You know, it's like this this film is almost like the reverse of that Bible verse where they say, like, uh, some some have entertained angels unaware, sure, you know, yeah. uh, this is almost the reverse of that. I'm like, don't, don't misstep. Cause you could be, you, you might have a gypsy curse a button and then you're in, tr- <laughs> you're in trouble. And, uh, and like I said, you know, as to, to reiterate a final point, and then let's definitely pivot to the fog meter is I feel like there are times in our lives where we position ourselves as we, as if we hold not only that we hold ultimate power, but maybe that things hold ultimate power over us and that the choices we make in those arenas are going to damn us or they're going to, you know, spiral us into. She's either going to live her best life now. And that's the other thing that I think is hilarious about this film is she makes these choices and it's like that assistant manager position is is all but yours, yeah, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, it's like all these great things are going to happen. So she's either going to climb the ladder and get her best life realized, or she is literally going to go at the, to, you know, to suffer for all eternity. And I feel like there's a place for us to recognize the absurdity on which the weight we put on these pressures, um, you know, whether it be, oh, I've got to make sure I get this needle right. I've got to make sure I say this right. I've got to make sure I make the exact right decision. And maybe it would do us some good to be like, that's a little ridiculous. We're taking ourselves a little too seriously. We're putting a little bit too much pressure on it. And I will say with some spiritual fervency, perhaps giving too many other things more power over us than they deserve. Sure. And that's what I gleam from a film like Drag me to hell. As silly as that may sound. No, but, I mean, um, I, I am impressed, and <laughs> and which which sounds like a backhanded compliment, or you know, backhanded no, no, compliment. No, no. I, I'm not. I don't mean it that way. Uh, I think yeah. you you make a good case for the value of the film, and I like your version, and uh, <laughs> you know, just a little less gumming and gumming and bile spewing and maggot vomit and blah hole yeah so uh so with that why don't you explain the fog meter to our listeners Woo! fog meter we rank every film on a metric of fear and god how scary is it how substantive is it i will go first on fear ranking from one to ten okay um it's it's far more you know gross 
slash nasty than it is scary. Um, so, uh, but you can't kind of discount the gross nasty. So, uh, I'm going to go with a six on okay. fear. What about you? Uh, it's got a ton of jump scares too, which, you know, if that frustrates you as a viewer, like if you don't like films that rely on jump scares, that's probably going to be a frustrating film for you. Um, if you enjoy that and kind of find that fun, you might get a lot of fun out of this. I think six is an appropriate measurement for its fear because it's, it's, it's got some genuinely creepy stuff to it, but it also has those layers of comedy. Um, and so six kind of feels right for, for where I want it to be. Um, what would you give it for the God meter? I intentionally went first on fear to let you go first on God, but I will, I will honor the question. I got it. Um, uh, I love all you've derived and even see the shadow of what you're describing in the film we have. Um, I think to give some benefit of the doubt, I will, mm, I'll, I'll go with a six. Okay. All right. Um, what's interesting, first of all, in a film called Drag Me to Hell, is that our first three measurements have been six, six, six. I think that's funny. Um, but the other, th- <laughs> the other thing is, um, I'm torn a little bit on this because I think I'm extrapolating something from it, but I am only using the text of the film to do it. So, so you know, did it did it have what I extrapolated on its mind, or was that just something that's kind of there for the taking? I don't know. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to split the difference between like a super high rating and a super low one. And I'm going to go for a seven with its, uh, with its general God meter. Cause I, cause honestly, I don't know if it had that on its mind or not. Um, but what that fundamentally means is that we give drag me to hell directed by Sam Raimi, a six out of 10 on the fog meter. That is what we give it. It's supposed to be, <laughs> um, again, I find it hilarious that our first three measurements were sixes. That's just hysterical to me. Um, so, but and because of that, I'll go first. We're going to get Drag Me to Hell. <laughs> I'm going to go first on this. I don't think Drag Me to Hell is for everybody, and that's why I, I say sincerely to kind of let you off the hook a little bit. I do think you kind of have to get on the wavelength of what it's offering, and if you're on the wavelength for the absurdity, I think you'll have a lot of fun. And I think that if you can kind of get on board with with what Sam Raimi does as a filmmaker, you will have a blast watching this film um, because I do think it is, you know, sort of sort of prime rib of the kind of things that he can offer as a filmmaker. Um, so so I think in that respect, I would recommend that it is not something that I'm going to recommend to like my wife or the casual viewer to go check out, you know, a horror film. Um, so but I think if you're a horror aficionado and if especially if you're an Evil Dead fan that has not seen this film somehow, you definitely need to seek it out because I think you'll have a lot of fun. So that's my recommendation. How about for you? I feel like I'm like kicked out of the club or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, All are welcome to this table. Right. Um, I think, you know, of course the Raimi fan, I think it's kind of check the box. Do I recommend it? No, not really. Um, yeah, it's, that's uh, fair. It, it pains me a little bit to say that just because of knowing your affection and people's general, no. general fandom of him. Uh, but in terms of just like, and which is funny because it sounds like I hated the experience. It, it was not that, but I did come to a point of being like, yeah, it's not for me. Uh, so <laughs> I, I don't Understood. recommend it to me. And if people like 
or understand or on board with my typical sensibilities, thus perhaps not to them as well. How's that for a weird ass (laughs) recommendation (laughs) list? (laughs) I get it. I get it. Um, So, well, listeners, uh, that is your 2009, 2020, 2020 entry. Um, Maybe someday we'll go, we'll, we'll come back around and do like a, like a double feature of Zombieland and Zombieland double tap. And we'll, you know, we'll give everybody who's like, Oh, I really wish that they had covered that instead. Uh, We'll give them that opportunity. But uh, next week, we will still be with 2020-2020, counting down your top 10 films of 2010. The voting is closed. list is tallied. It is what it is. But you, uh, the film that you will need to prepare yourself for, <laughs> in drastic contrast to the absurd zaniness of Drag Me to Hell, is the much more sort of uh, dark and heavily oppressive, but still quite, quite impressive film by Darren Aronofsky, black swan so next week we are going to be counting down your favorites of 2010 and covering black swan again won't reveal where it is in the list might be top might be lower we don't know but uh black swan is the film to cover for next week nathan thank you you're for, welcome Riri. uh i feel i feel that you've indulged me a bit in allowing me That's to share my thoughts on, i appreciate that on uh drag me to hell and i thank you for it thank you for sharing this conversation with me i really appreciate it as always thank you listeners uh for tuning in um and uh yeah as we say on every episode the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation and in that spirit we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing we'll see you next week see everybody. you next week guys bye the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God, on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.